0: Well, it's anything but normal these days. Uh, Things are a little different in the world. Things are a little different in terms of the sports calendar as well. But uh, we're still going to take our usual time off and enjoy the summer and kind of see how things go. So just so you guys know and you're aware, we like to keep you up to date on what is happening with the show and how it's happening. Today's our last show until Monday, July 27th, taking a couple of weeks off here. So a lot to do before we head off into the summer sun for the next couple of weeks. Demetrius Nichols is going to join me about an hour from now. I had an opportunity to catch up with him before the show. Live from the bubble, yesterday we had on Beheim's Army Head Coach Ryan Blackwell. Today we'll check in with our friend Demetrius Nichols about all those things. Life in the bubble, getting ready for sideline cancer, their next opponent, their win over men of Mackey, what makes Eric Devendorf such a, a superhuman during Bayheims Army, the uh, sacrifice that players like Demetrius Nichols and others are making by being there and missing out on birthdays and family time, and Demetrius is always a pleasure to catch up with, and we will do that. About an hour from now, uh, we're going to have to move up our daily where we at segment when it comes to coronavirus, sports, where football is, because some big decisions are being made. There's some breaking news out there about what the Big Ten is doing, which surely I think is going to lead to what the ACC is doing. John Wildhack, Syracuse Athletic Director, held a Zoom call with the media today, and this was this morning, so I think what he said is still relevant. I think what he said still very much applies. But what's happening is these scenarios are going from possible to likely. These scenarios are going from maybes to green light. There's a lot of different models and possibilities, and what we're looking at is now the likelihood, not the possibility, the likelihood that Syracuse football plays a fractured football schedule. There was news today from the ACC about what they're doing in the Olympic sports, and what we're starting to see is a muddled picture becoming a little bit more clear on what sports are going to look like in the fall from a college perspective. The National Football League with some interesting Protocols that they put out today, as well as everybody kind of tries to figure out how to do this thing. So uh, we're going to have to do that a little earlier in today's show than our usual about five twenty or so segment about where we're at in sports. All that to come, all your hot takes to come, and that's hot. We'll get one last big show in before we uh, take off and sit by the pool for the next couple of weeks. You can't do much more than that, right? You can't leave the state. If you come back, you got to quarantine and all this stuff. It's Craziness. Okay, so some interesting breaking news, not unexpected to say the least, but we were kind of wondering who was going to take the lead on this. Now, the Ivy League made their announcement yesterday. We discussed it on the show yesterday. They made their announcement. They're not even going to play fall sports. They're done. They canceled it. There's a possibility football could be played in the spring in the Ivy League, but the Ivy League, it's not really a priority for them. They actually do care about the academic part of of the college experience. And Harvard has already announced, speaking of the Ivy League, that everything's going to be online this year. Still charging you the same tuition, which is very interesting, considering the billions of dollars that they have nestled away. But that's a whole different topic for a different day. The Ivy League made $30 million off football this year. Just to put that in perspective, that is about what Syracuse alone will get. In television money. A little less than that. An entire league made $30 million off football. One ACC school, one Power 5 school, will get just about that in television money. So it's not a priority for them. So what the Ivy League did was certainly notable. What the Ivy League did was certainly interesting because the Ivy League was one of the first conferences to cancel their conference tournament in basketball. And everybody at the time was like, well, what are you doing? Well, you're not even considering possibility of no fans in the building and yada 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 and then rudy gobert happened and the world caved in so what the ivy league did don't does not necessarily lead the charge for the power fives college football the big money and the presence of sports that people were looking to in the fall but what the big 10 announced today does now this is not official but If college football insiders on the level of Nicole Arbach from The Athletic, who has just been fantastic throughout this whole thing. I wish she didn't have to report on this, but you want people that are connected, that are well-sourced, that are putting factual, solid information out there. Nicole Arbach from The Athletic is one of the best reporters in college sports, and she has been on the mark Throughout. So I have no reason to doubt what she's saying, what Heather Dinich and Mark Schlebar are saying for ESPN, and that is that the Big Ten is going to a conference only schedule, that that will be officially announced at some point today. I have not seen that official announcement yet. The Pac 12 is expected to follow suit. As Nicole notes here, multiple industry insiders tell The Athletic that they expect the Pac 12 to go to conference-only scheduling as well in the coming days. And this is not just football. These are all sports for these conferences. So if the Big Ten domino has fallen, if the Pac-12 domino has fallen, then the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, one would take an educated guess, are not far behind. So the Big Ten announcement takes a Syracuse football game off the table. Syracuse was scheduled to go to Rutgers on September 12th, uh, your boy's birthday, by the way. That's out. So that's one game off the schedule. How that works in terms of your record, how that terms in terms of forfeit or payment and all that, you know, that's dot and I's and cross and T's to be worked out later. There's provisions in these contracts, and it's an epidemic. It's, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic here. So they'll figure that out. But. As of it stands right now, Syracuse is going to play 11 football games because Rutgers is out. The Patriot League has announced, and if they stick to this, if they can't find a way around this, that students and student-athletes will report on the same date. Now, depending on what that date is, usually later in August, right? For safety reasons, for a number of reasons, football players need six weeks of practice and prep time and to go through the rhythms of what football is before they play a game, before they can safely play. a Syracuse is scheduled to play Colgate on September 19th. If they report at the same time that normal students do, it depends on what the date is and how much time they get in there. So it might come down to the wire, but that's not looking good either. If the ACC goes to the non-conference model, as the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are on the road to doing, as Nicole Arbach has reported, well, that's not going to matter anyway, because that game's out. Western Michigan's out. Syracuse is scheduled to open the season Friday, September 4th at Boston College. That's a conference game. Usually, you don't play conference games that early, but... In the made-for-TV world, the ACC network and Labor Day weekend kind of coming out of the chute strong, they wanted to beef up the schedule, make it more interesting in that first game. One could, again, take an educated guess that that game's going to be at least pushed back. Because why would you start on Labor Day weekend and then just kind of chill for a few weeks and start your conference schedule? The ACC is hit an interesting spot, and I saw David Thiel, terrific ACC reporter, based in Virginia, we've had on the show a few times, say that the ACC would continue its relationship with Notre Dame. They would essentially consider those conference games. Now, not everybody plays Notre Dame, but Notre Dame plays at least, I believe it's five ACC teams every year on their schedule. That is the deal for Notre Dame to be an ACC member in every other school in football well, you got to play five schools per year. Syracuse scheduled to play Notre Dame again next year, but not this year. So what we've been basically forecasting is starting to come to fruition. They're going to play football. It's going to be different. It's going to be fractured. They're going to start it and see how it goes, and then we'll go from here. And we do this in an environment right now on Thursday, July the 9th. As of yesterday... According to Johns Hopkins, which has been tracking this from the very beginning, and despite people out there trying to discredit experts out there on this, I'm going to take their word on this over some guy that watched a YouTube video and put it on your Facebook page, if you don't mind. Three million new COVID-19 cases, one million of these in the past 30 days. We're basically at a rate of 60,000 cases a day, which is rising quickly to potentially 100,000 new cases per day in this country. Yesterday, new cases, just to give you a few countries for an example, countries that were cited by the President of the United States on Where they're going back to school Because that's been a big push Kids gotta go back to school No matter what Okay These are new cases Yesterday Germany 298 Denmark 10 Norway 11 Sweden 57 The United States 55,442 If you adjust that For population size So you say Well those countries are smaller Than the United States Okay Adjusted for population size Germany 1,183, Denmark 570, Norway 676, Sweden 1,835, the United States 50,442. When you have this number of states, including hot spots like Florida, a lot of college football played in Florida, Texas, Arizona, all the states where cases are rising, this does not equal playing college football. And you can, I, I can hear the whatabouts already. You can scream at me about death rates and you can scream at me about certain things and you can scream at me about civil liberties and you can scream about this and that. This does not equal college football sustaining or maybe even getting off the ground. So if you want to complain about, you know, your liberties being threatened here or whatever the case may be or, Push back on experts, push back on people that have dedicated their lives to this. Trying to discredit Dr. Fauci and Dr. Birx and people that have spent their life's work are experts on this. But your best friend's sister's uncle's best friend's cousin saw a YouTube video and somebody shared it on Twitter. So they they don't know what they're talking about. The CDC, they're just guidelines, right? Like all this nonsense we're getting from the highest levels on down. Okay, keep believing that crap. Because guess what's going to happen? All these things that you want to come back that we are on track to getting back, that we are on a good rate to, and I don't want to discredit the people that are doing what they need to do and are playing their part. But essentially half of this country's selfishness, as opposed to sacrificing for the greater good, is going to cost us this stuff. So today's not a good day. There's been good days. There's been encouraging signs. There are other sports that are trying to play through this. Lots of other sports that are scheduled to come back and are back. And that's great. That's progress. At Oklahoma, they tested 89 football players yesterday. Guess how many came back positive? None. This is good news, but... There's only so long you can kind of isolate yourself and pretend that you're not a part of the greater community around you, right? This is now when on college campuses, for example, the general student population is not around you. You can't just play football or certain sports and not have college, or can you? Maybe they can. I don't know. Maybe it's online learning for everybody else, but football's so important financially that they'll find a way to get him on the field. That could be the case. This is a fluid situation. Speaking in, in definites and absolutes about this stuff can be can be uh, let's let's say dangerous. Can be inconsistent. But if the numbers keep, I'm going to make an educated guess here. But if the numbers keep trending this way and people keep putting their selfish interests above the greater good, we're not going to have college football amongst men things and the National Football League I think they've got more resources to pull it off they're definitely going to try but that prediction that many were making the road we were heading down to having a fractured college football season is already starting to come out with the announcement that's not the announcement but with the report and I'm sure the official announcement will probably be out by the time this show is over at these major conferences, their first step is to say only conference games. The ACC already announcing today, as I noted, and we'll get John Wildhack's thoughts on this coming up from his Zoom call this morning. The ACC has already said that they're not going to start anything until September 1st. There's usually some cross-country events, some field hockey events, some fall sports that get a few games in before September 1st. Now they're saying... We're not starting anything till September 1st. What we're seeing here from some of the highest levels in college athletics, frankly, is they're kicking the can down the road because they don't know. And that's OK that they don't know, because this is something where even the top level experts in the world are telling us one thing and then trends go the other way. They can tell you what needs to be done to control it, to put it at a manageable level. And even that doesn't come to fruition sometimes. Right, So we're all trying to figure this out. We'll play the clips from John Wildhack next, from what he said today. There's a lot of different models on the table. Well, Which one you actually execute, which plan you pick, you point to and say we're doing that, nobody really knows yet. But we're starting to see that picture become a little more clear in the college sports world with the Big Ten's announcement today. That doesn't mean it's universal across the board. I didn't mean to be so alarmist a few minutes ago. Say, we're not going to have college sports. There are other sports that are finding a way to do this. TBT, Bayheim's Army. They're figuring it out, but that's a two-, three-week event. We're talking about months when it comes to college football, the National Football League, even the NBA and the NHL, which are going to have bubbles and protocols and safety and a unique aspect of trying to get through it. I was watching MLS soccer last night. Something I normally don't do, but live sports wanted to see how they were doing it. And maybe they found a way. That's great. That's adjusting and finding a way to get it done, even in a pandemic. We have to learn how to live with this until the numbers get down to a manageable level. And who the heck knows when a vaccine comes and and all these things we've been discussing for the past few weeks. But what does a conference-only schedule mean? It doesn't solve your problem. It just kind of kicks the can down the road a little bit more. The Ivy League's decision versus what the Power Fives have to do are different, but maybe the Ivy League has it right. And I think a lot of people, myself included, by the way, as somebody that works in the sports world, I think they speak out of self-interest sometimes as opposed to what makes sense in terms of playing sports. We'll see who's right. So today's very, the last 48 hours really have been significant on the college sports front. Other sports are either playing, have plans, or have time to figure this out. But if you're a college sports fan, the last 48 hours have been troubling, quite frankly. That was reported by Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, confirmed in a statement by the Big Ten. There are reports out there via Nicole Arbach, Brett McMurphy, some other college sports insiders that both the Pac-12 and the ACC are going to follow that model and follow suit. So we're tracking that. We're keeping an eye on it if there's any other confirmations from conferences and kind of where we're going here. But there's some dominoes falling in that discussion. So we'll keep an eye on that while you... Listen to this conversation with our good friend Demetris Nichols of Bayheim's Army. Let's do it. So, Demetrius, you guys, one down, three to go in the bubble in Columbus. I want to start by going back to the other day, that that matchup against Men of Mackey, and I think it showed, you know, there was a nice speech that Eric Devendorf gave you guys after the game on the court that you're going to have to grind this out, and that game kind of showed uh, what type of matchups uh, may be there and what TBT is like.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, we—I mean, I have played in TBT a couple of years from now, but that message was for the young guys. You know, the guys who haven't played in the TBT, and basically let them. I'm basically letting them know that this is how it's going to be. It's not like college basketball. It's not like professional. It's the TBT tournament, so it's 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 kind of different in a lot of ways. But we did a really really good job. We was able to stop the big Isaac Haas from getting easy touches and forcing him to make, take tough shots. And we guarded the three-point line. You know, our zone was really, really, really good. We forced them to shoot 20% from the three-point line. Obviously, we shot 19%. But we made that up by shooting, uh, getting to the line 32 times, making 28 free throws, which was amazing. So... And, and lastly, we got multiple stops. We had great sequences where we had two three stops in a row when the time was needed. And things like that is going to help us win games. Things like diving on the floor for loose balls, getting the flexions, going to the offensive rebounds, giving our team a second chance to get an opportunity to score.
0: I'm curious what the is like and, and what Coach Blackwell says about going in between zone and man-to-man. How do you kind of read that situation and know what the right defense is to play?
1: That's a good question. I think, I think it depends on how well a team is shooting. Obviously, if a team is shooting 20% from the three-point line, there's no reason for us to go man. So that's a sign that the zone is working. As long as we're rebounding... But they're not shooting at a high clip from the three point line. That means that the zone is, is, is working. We're active and and we're doing what we're supposed to do in the zone. So that is a so that's a sign that we're doing well by the way the opposing team shoots the three. So that's how we determine if we should go man or not.
0: Demetrius, you mentioned it too. 28 of 32 from the free throw line, which just goes to show you sometimes that if the threes aren't falling for you, and Wednesday's, or pardon me, Tuesday's game was a situation where neither team was really hitting from three, so you're attacking the paint, and it depends on how those refs are blowing that whistle at that point. But if you're going to get to the free throw line 32 times, you got to cash them in, and you guys did that. But uh, as you know, And I was joking with Coach Blackwell when I talked to him on the show yesterday. A Syracuse team shooting that well from the free-throw line, uh, that always kind of raises an
1: eyebrow, right? No, it does. It does. Actually, I was surprised that we shot that well from the free-throw line. But that just shows that we were locked in, that we were focused, that we were concentrated on the line, and we knew that every point counts. And this team is different from any other team that, We've played on because we have multiple guys that can play multiple positions, but we also have we always have shooters. But we have guys that can go downhill and get to the free throw line. Like Malachi Richardson went to the free throw line 13 times. Obviously, I think he made 10 free throws. But things like that—that's you know—that's huge. You know, obviously, uh, Eric Devendorf using his left hand, Brandon Trish, John Gillen, all these guys can really, really go downhill, and that's what you need. You need a balance of guys that can do multiple things and you need the right pieces to fit you know obviously you know like me me uh andrew white guys that are shooters you know we can sit out there and just wait for the ball to come to us but when you have a balance between shooters and guys that can make plays for themselves and others i think we have a pretty good chance
0: we're talking to our friend Demetrius Nichols in the bubble in Columbus as Beheim's Army gets ready to take on sideline cancer Saturday at 4 p.m. We'll preview that matchup coming up here shortly. But Demetrius, we made it this far in the conversation without giving Eric Devendorf uh, the love he deserves. Here, I mean, this guy's a warrior on the court. He's a TBT Hall of Famer. I mean, you know as well as anybody, and Syracuse fans know that every time he steps on the court, he's going to give you that passion. He's going to give you. the the way that he plays the game, but, man, he just, to drop 20 points in a game like that, he just takes over these games. What is it it about the way Devo plays in this tournament that has made him as successful as he has, as you would know, having played in in, in a bunch of these tournaments as well?
1: Yeah, uh, I was, you know, I gave him a lot of love on my video, I think, yesterday on Twitter, and I was just basically saying, you know, You know, he basically led us, his 21 points and his left hand. He had a couple of shots where he used his left hand. And it was like, it was amazing how he was able to finish on both sides of the floor, you know, pull-ups. But, you know, you can just tell that, you know, he's still in the gym, he's working. And, uh, you know, that's what he does. Like, I'm not surprised that, you know, he plays the way he plays. We've trained all summer long for the past 10 years whenever I come home from Europe. So I'm not surprised that he's always had that that grit, that hunger, that fire, and we need that, you know, for him. Um, uh, so, you know, so far, so good. And maybe next game is going to be somebody else to lead us. So we have different pieces of the puzzle, and he definitely – his piece uh, two nights ago.
0: To you know, on that note, Demetrius, you mentioned there's there's some young blood on this team now. You and, and Eric and Brandon Trish and a couple guys that have been in a few of these. But you add in a Malachi Richardson, you add in some new players. Will Raymond drops in when Tyler Lydon had to step out. So you got a good mix of veteran presence and, and younger guys and and guys that just have to kind of take on that role. You mentioned Malachi with the free throws, but I know Dante Green's played in a couple of these, but, boy, yeah. what a task he was given the other night to guard Isaac Haas and, and kind of get out of position and, and step in there and contribute. But I guess it goes to show that, as you were just saying, you you guys will take on the role you need to as these games go and the strategy changes.
1: Yeah, you know, we know that we are we're eight deep, and we know that, we have to gain rebound and we have to do things as a unit together. So myself, Dante Green, Will Raymond did a great job of guarding Isaac Haas. Like I said, forcing him to take tough shots, you know, getting him out of position to touch the ball, even though he still had a double-double. I mean, he's three. You know, he was supposed to, you know, score a little bit and get some rebounds, but he didn't get one dunk the whole game, you know, which is huge. So because when you dunk the ball, sometimes – it gives your team confidence, it gives your team momentum, and they didn't really have any swings where they they got energy from their offense, because we did a good job of guarding him, and Dante, on the offensive end, he attacked him, so he got the 7-3 center in foul trouble, You know, forcing him to get to the free throw line, and we converted from the line, so... We had a good strategy plan, and uh, so far, so good. Now we're on to sideline like cancer.
0: On that note, I wanted to ask you about that team, and I was discussing this with Coach Blackwell a little bit yesterday, Demetrius. Look, 22 seed, that doesn't matter. You guys know that. Seeds are, are useless in this thing. It's just a way to kind of set things up before the tournament starts. In the past couple of years, <laughs> This squad has proven that seeds don't matter. So all that aside, you're looking at matchups. You're looking at film. You're starting to get ready for this game. What do you see in the sideline cancer squad? What are going to be the keys to have a competitive game and ultimately hopefully come away for a victory against them?
1: Well, they have a great guard. And Marcus Keene, he led the NCAA in scoring an average 30 points at Central Michigan University in, I think, 2016, 2017. And you can tell he's, he hasn't lost a beat. You know, he basically carried his team against Team Challenge ALS a couple of nights ago, and everybody thought that Southline Cancer was going to lose that game. But he basically put his team on his back, carried them, and made sure that they got the victory. So first, we have to slow him down. And once we're able to slow him down, either by limiting his touches, you know, forcing him to take tough shots, then everybody else, you know, I think we could take care of everybody else that way because he he seems like he's the only guy that is aggressive going downhill, trying to make plays for himself and others. So if we can if we can slow him down, because he's our top priority, is basically slowing him down because he's the you know, like, um, he's a bulldog down there, so he comes at you in transition, and we want to try our best to, to make them play half-court basketball and force them into situations where they're not comfortable.
0: Demetrius, you've been doing a great job with the videos on Twitter, the diary on Syracuse.com, so we've really gotten a sense from you what life in the bubble is like, but I still wanted to ask you, having you on the phone now, just that you're there, you're settled in, it's kind of a routine for you, but give us a sense of of what life in the bubble is like. I know no two days are the same, but generally, like, how do things go? How often do you get tested, and 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 what's the process like?
1: Well, usually we wake up and we have to go on the 14th floor, get some breakfast, get a bag of breakfast. This morning I had some pancakes and uh, some pancakes and a breakfast burrito. And from there, I have a bunch of interviews. Sometimes so after I got the phone with you, me and Eric, we're going to work out in my room right before practice. Usually practice goes on. We shoot, do some competitive shooting, maybe five on five. Then we watch basketball. So we go in our team lounge and we build, we bond, we talk. We talk about different strategies on how we're going to win or what we need to do to win, learning from other teams' mistakes, by not taking tough shots and forcing shots. So, we, this this group is 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 a special group and I think because of the bubble, it's like we have to be around each other. We have to talk. We have to be in the same environment. So, it's, it's, it's helping us get to know one another a lot more and a lot faster so we can develop that chemistry so that chemistry can transfer from off the court to on the court. And that's what I see with this bubble. And, And usually guys like myself and other guys that play in this tournament, playing in Europe for for 13 years, it's kind of similar where you're either practicing, you're in a hotel, or you're playing the game. And that's a similar situation that we're having here in Columbus.
0: Demetrius, it's great to hear your voice. I I know you're making some sacrifices being out there. Happy uh, belated birthday to your daughter. I know you uh, had to miss that. And uh, you guys uh, are away from your families and doing your thing, but we really appreciate it. It was great seeing you guys play the other day. We hope to keep watching you straight on through here. But thanks for your time today. Best of luck against sideline cancer. I know we'll catch up again soon, but thanks for the time today, my friend.
1: I appreciate it, right?